We had a compelling Kentucky Derby winner, Mage, who had only raced three times in his life before winning the run for the Roses on Saturday. Uh, and that is just a fraction of the news that has come out of Churchill Downs in Lexington, Kentucky over the last week or so. Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated at by Pat, at by Pat Forty on Twitter joins us on the Adam Gold Show. Uh, first, let's start with the race. Uh, can't, are you surprised that Dale Earnhardt Jr. picked the winner on NBC before the race? <laughs> Look, anybody could pick the winner, uh, basically, in most years in the Kentucky Derby, and this one's not too different. So <laughs> maybe Dale had some special insight. I know he knows about turning left, which is what you do in a car and See? on a horse, but beyond that... I, I, it might have just been novice luck. <laughs> the whole thing was hysterical. Uh, all right, so first of all, the horse that won, uh, very lightly raced, pretty much was like partially owned by the trainer, right? Uh, well, the, the the trainer, no, the, the ownership was is interspersed amongst four different groups uh, with one guy who's a bloodstock agent who helped pick out the horse and, and buy the horse right. uh, as the primary owner. All right, so w- what, is, what is the backstory to this? Because I know the jockey had not won a Kentucky Derby in 15 previous starts. Right, yeah, Javier Castellano, right. uh, 0 for 15, and uh, he, he said he was watching NBC uh, coverage the day of the race in the jockey's room, and they put the 0 for 15 up there. And he said it was inspiration. He said, this year I'm going to do it. <laughs> Lo and behold, he did. It was a heck of a ride, really. because The horse uh, missed the break, was nearly last, and uh, he found a nice, clean, patient trip to put uh, Mage in position to make the stretch run. Yeah, sometimes all you need is just a, a, a quiet ride all the way around, and he got to the top of the backstretch, uh, and there was a lane, and he was, what, six horses wide, but at that point it doesn't matter. You're in the middle of the track, and there's just a lot of room in front. Uh, and I know the, uh, I guess the trainer thought that as soon as he saw the horse at the top of the stretch, if he, he, he knew he was going to win the race then. Yeah. I mean, uh, given this horse's style, he, his races, as you noted, uh, he hasn't raced often, but in big races, he's had one big move. He had a big one in the Florida Derby, uh, and Forte, uh, passed him up, but, but he's, he's got that kind of, uh, triple crown race winning sort of one big acceleration in him, and he certainly showed it there uh, when he got the opportunity and overhauled two fills who actually ran a heck of a race to uh, to finish second. Before I get to what happens at Churchill Downs, do you think that Mage will run the Preakness? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I expect that he will. Um, and I expect Forte, who had beaten Mage t- twice and who was scratched somewhat controversially the day of the race to be there, uh, and meet him and give us a little bit of a, a storyline. All right, as you said, somewhat controversially, there were, there were a lot of scratches. I think five horses were scratched. And at the beginning of the week, maybe even on the weekend, a horse that was supposed to run was put down because of a fracture in his hock. Uh, what had that week, 10 days, been like for Churchill Downs? Yeah, it was terrible. Terrible run-up. The worst run-up to the Derby I've seen, and this was my 36th of them, so... Uh, you know, there were, again, yes, seven horse deaths in a 10-day span, starting right. with Wild on Ice, who was the derby contender who had to be euthanized after uh, an injury to his uh, right hind leg. 
and then in the races uh, or in the paddock on race day, there there were other injuries that uh, resulted in, in fatalities, including two on Derby Day, and then obviously the five scratches, uh, most since 1936, and a trainer suspended and basically told to take his horses and leave town. Uh, right. Sappy Joseph, who had two of the fatalities. So it was a, uh, a a pretty sobering reminder of what goes with horse racing. There's some great parts to it and some that are pretty ugly. Pat Forty is joining us here at Santa Anita in California in the last, I don't know, a couple of years. There's been a rash of deaths as well. Uh, what does the sport, what, what does it say about the sport? What does it say about two tracks at Churchill Downs as well, that uh, these seems to be these these things seem to be happening in bunches. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, honestly, and the the thing with these at Churchill Downs, it was kind of a hodgepodge of circumstances. There were, I think, four on the dirt track, one on the grass track, two that were unrelated to racing service at all. Those were the horses for Sappy Joseph, the trainer who was suspended, who. They just collapsed after the race, and those are the most suspicious ones. Uh, there was a horse that reared up in the paddock, and so, you know, you can't point and say, it's this, it's right. that, you know. The dirt surface needs to be safer. The turf needs to be safer, that sort of thing. Whereas out in California, it was, I think, a little, probably pointed a little bit more towards surface than than these injuries. But still, you know, it, it is a problem for horse racing because there's plenty of people that are turned off when – Death of the competitors is part of the equation. Uh, so that's that's a reality, that you are turning off a large segment of your audience. Uh, there is a, you know, it's a complete hodgepodge of regulations nationally. They're right. making big strides actually towards a kind of a, a homogenous medication set of guidelines, but we, they haven't gotten there yet, and there's a lack of central leadership in horse racing. And until those things kind of come together, I'm not sure how much farther forward the industry can come. There are fewer fatalities now, Adam, per horse, per 100 horses or whatever, than there used to be. The sport is safer, but when high-profile things like this happen at Churchill Downs, week of the Kentucky Derby, it's a very bad look. Yeah, it's interesting. We talked to a longtime uh, horse racing rider, Dick Girardi, last week. And he pointed out that Bob Baffert, who has been banned, is now finishing up, I guess, a two-year ban from Churchill Downs, um, that the medication that his horses were on, which has gotten him banned, is perfectly legal in other places. So it almost seems like, like for this sport specifically, there does need to be one set of rules. There does. There absolutely does. And that's the thing, you know, in the, like, a suspension in one place doesn't carry over to another. So a jockey or a trainer that gets suspended just moves his operation for a couple of weeks, months, years, whatever the case may be. Uh, there's nobody in charge, basically. And so you, you do have this kind of this, you know, this lack of uniformity that really, I think, puzzles and confuses the average fan and leads to some pretty strange situations out there for sure. Pat Forty is joining us from Sports Illustrated at ByPat40 on Twitter. You can also check him out on the College Football Inquirer with Dan Wetzel and Ross Dellinger. So I have to ask you this. I saw where ESPN basically told the uh, the sports media world that we're not interested in the Pac-12 media rights at this point. Not sure if they will become interested down the road, but 
Is the Pac-12 just not going to be on TV eventually? <laughs> I mean, we're just well, never going to see them? As we've joked on our podcast, we think, like, Cheddar TV and gas station TV is going to be the way to go. You know, you pull into pump six and catch as much of uh, Washington State against Stanford as you can get while you're filling up and move on from there. Um, they have to really speed the game up, though, to get the uh, to get the full game. I know they're trying to, but they really have to speed it up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I don't know. I mean, look, they're going to end up with they're going to end up with a contract. What it's what it is. Who's involved. What the distribution is, how much is streaming versus how much is more readily available on TV, I don't know. Um, I'm not sure anyone knows yet. I think we're getting gradually a little more information. Really, within the next six weeks or so, we will hopefully be getting, you know, an announcement. Um, I think it's it's time, and everybody needs to know where the Pac-12 stands, and especially the members of the Pac-12 need to know where the Pac-12 stands. What? what who's going to be left in the Pac-12 if they don't get? Uh, anything that even approaches what the ACC or the Big 12 earns per year in terms of media, what's going to be left of the Pac-12? Well, I mean, this is going to be the big question is, is if there's, if they have a true disparity compared to the Big 12, do they lose schools there? You know, I, I, I'm not sure you're going to lose them to anywhere else. Cause I don't know if the Big 10 wants Oregon and Washington per se. Uh, and who else is really actually, marketable uh stanford has a massive academic cachet but limited athletic appeal right so you're dealing with college presidents who might like to be in a conference with stanford but you know it's 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 fraught with peril for the pac-12 for sure um you know could they because the big 12 is just sitting there waiting they would love those four corner schools they're called colorado utah arizona arizona state uh and so the, that's who the Pac-12, I think, most needs to worry about than Washington, Oregon as well, up in the Northwest. Well, what's stopping the Big 12 right now from getting the, the four corner schools? Well, because I'm not sure the uh, – I mean, the schools, I think, in the Pac-12 feel like they, they want to wait and see what the Pac-12 deal is. It's good enough. They, they prefer to stay. I, you know, I don't think Arizona and Arizona State are just – chomping at the bit to be in the same conference with West Virginia and Central Florida. But, <laughs> you know, we'll see how it all works out. You know, they would rather have a more local uh, presence and be able to recruit in California more easily. But I think they're waiting to see what uh, what's on the table. Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated is joining us. Uh, we, we used to have ACC, Coastal, and Atlantic. Maybe we could have uh, ACC, Atlantic, and Pacific. <laughs> well... You know, the ACC needs to find ways to conjure up uh, more revenue. Sure. And if you, want, if you want to try to get ESPN to break that contract or remake the contract, you know, take a swing like that. I mean, it would be truly bizarre. Syracuse, Boston College, Arizona, Arizona State. Sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could not, could not get further apart in America. <laughs> but, you know, uh, all things are still on the table at this point. Alaska Anchorage will be joining the Atlantic Coast Conference, Pat Forty. Um, look, I think here's what I would do if I were the commissioner of the ACC. I would allow, encourage, demand advertising on the uniforms. Who would stop me? Yeah. You know what? That's, that's an interesting thought. Uh, if... if if you're looking ways for ways to make money, there's a, there's an easy way, I would think, right there. Um, and we talked about the lack of centralized leadership in horse racing. Well, 
college sports has that too, since the NCAA seems to have very little power. So uh, that would be a fascinating um, avenue for them to explore. Let me ask you this question. I had, I don't think you and I have talked about it, Pat Forty. I don't want to keep you too much longer. The um, do you think NIL has been good for the the two majors? I'm not I'm not trying to diminish all of the other sports, and we've seen it. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of athletes that are taking advantage of NIL, maybe in the ways it was supposed to be uh, implemented. But do you think ultimately NIL has been good or bad for college sports? I think it's been good. Um, I think athletes have been able to get some of the uh, profits of their labor that they have long sought. Um, I don't think it has ruined anything. It certainly hasn't ruined the economy. You know, for people that said, I'm not going to watch because this isn't amateur sports. Well, check the ratings. They're watching. <laughs> right. For schools that say, it's going to absolutely break our budgets. Well, how many coaches have been given $10 million contracts in the last two years in football? Uh how many places are still building new facilities? So, you know, I, I just think there's been a lot of alarm without a lot of substance behind it. Has it all been perfect? Absolutely not. Is the NIL that's turned into recruiting inducement something the NCAA did not want and the schools did not want? Yes. But A, is that the worst thing? Probably not. Secondly, B, can you rein that in? Maybe. You can at least get closer to it. I think there's going to be, you know, this two or three year, four year period of, of almost wild chaos, and then it's mm -hmm. going to settle down. That, yep. People get their arms around it, and it's going to work a little bit closer to the way it was intended to work. That's what I think, too. I think that we just, it's, it's so new for people. And look, I said this when the NCAA came out and said, we don't want it being used as a recruiting inducement. I said, well, I figure I figured you would say that. I don't know how you're going to <laughs> how you're going to stop it, but they hadn't been yeah. able to stop it before. Well, exactly, right? You know, I mean, yes, I think it was at best naive to think that they could stop it, but to your point, Adam, it's the underground economy's been rolling for decades, you know? Players were coming and going based on inducements that were offered to them. They just weren't public. Yeah, There was plenty of guys that you could go through the parking lots at major schools and look at the cars and say, yeah, well, those were probably NIL inducements before NIL. You know, the old now it's legal aphorism for, or acronym for NIL, that, that's where we are, but it's <laughs> always kind of been the case. Pat Forty at or by at by Pat Forty. Too many things to remember here. Uh, from Sports Illustrated, also the College Football Inquirer podcast with Dan Wetzel and Ross Dellinger. Thank you, man. I'll talk to you very soon. I appreciate it. All right. My pleasure, Adam. Thanks. You got it. Pat Forty from Sports Illustrated. So it was a tough week for Churchill Downs uh, and college sports still adjusting to everything. Honestly, I don't know what the Pac-12 is going to look like in two years. Don't know. I don't know how much money that they can get from a network. You're hamstrung by the time zone. Completely hamstrung by the time zone. Yes, you should dominate everything that happens after, oh, 10 o'clock Eastern time, theoretically. But you're really choking off half of your, you know, half of the country in terms of you can't get huge numbers. So... I don't know how it's going to work. Uh, it is a difficult spot. It really is. And there might not be that much money left over. 
with as much money as the Big Ten and the SEC is getting. And honestly, the Pac-12 and the ACC makes pretty good money, too. I just don't know how much there is left for the Pac-12. And then what happens to those schools?